Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. From startup to working with Fortune 500 executives, Stephen King brings a unique combination of vision, foresight, and experience to help small businesses run better, grow faster, and make more money. Regarded as one of the accounting industry's top thought leaders, he's currently serving as president and CEO of GrowthForce, one of the nation's largest cloud-based accounting services. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Denise. So you've got lots of interesting things that I was reading about you just prior to the show. And it leads into what I was going to ask you to to tell me about the cloud-based accounting. I also saw you have a technology background. So could you tell me just a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, GrowthForce is a outsourced controller, bookkeeping, and accounting service for companies that use QuickBooks. And I started a company called Virtual Growth, which was the very first cloud-based accounting service in 1995 when... Netscape 1.0 came out, and we raised $43 million in venture capital funding and built the very first cloud software package using Lawson as our backend engine. And over the last 30 years, I've been helping small businesses and nonprofits run better, grow faster, and raise, raise more money for nonprofits and make more money for small businesses and help live that American dream. So it's been really exciting. Wow. That's almost three decades in this industry. But I understand you had an interesting side hustle before all of this came about. One. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the concert promotion. Oh, wow. You're going way back. So, um, (laughs) you know, I went to Pace University. It's an accounting factory in New York City down by the Brooklyn Bridge, right off of Wall Street. And I I worked uh, at nights. Um, I went to school at night. I worked during the day to pay for school. And I thought, you know. Working in Morgan Guarantee Bank isn't exciting. I want to, I love accounting. I want to be a rock and roll accountant. That was my dream. And I actually got to do it. I, I, I started a, I started a little side hustle called Psyched Productions. It was a, I was a concert promoter in New York, a small, you know, one person shop with a band of friends who would go plaster Greenwich Village with posters for a concert in the middle of the night until the poster mafia would cover them up. And uh, through that, I got to meet Amnesty International. We, I got asked by uh, Celeste D'Amelio, who was the art director of Gloria Vanderbilt at the time, to help put on a concert for Amnesty International and, and uh, ended up being asked to become the chief financial officer of Amnesty International at age 29. Uh, I, I joined two weeks after Bruce Springsteen and U2 and Peter Gabriel and Sting finished the worldwide Human Rights Now tour. And Amnesty mm. grew from $6 million to $18 million in a year and a half, thanks to MTV. And I got to be, as part of that job, one of my roles was to be treasurer for Concerts for Human Rights. So I got to meet you two and Peter Gabriel and Sting and Jackson Brown and all those guys because they were so passionate about it. And then I did that for four years and got bored because I'm a, a systems guy, right? I like building new things and all the systems were in place. And then uh, Jack Healy, executive director, asked me to be director of development. So I learned how to raise money. And uh, so we came in charge of not just spending Amnesty's money, but actually bringing it in. So that was really, a really great seven years. That's incredible. So, you know, I wouldn't have thought when I asked you that question that, because I didn't have all the details, that it was connected to how your career developed. That is phenomenal. And I love that you have both sides of the aisle. You have the business development, bringing money in, and then the tracking of the money. It is in, intrinsically two different things. 
Yeah. And, and what's interesting is I, I left the concert promotion business because it was so unethical. Mm. I really literally, you know, I'm an Irish Catholic, 12 years Catholic school, altar boy, the whole thing. And when I, I went to some classes that um, I'm not going to remember, Bill Graham, it wasn't Bill Graham. It was the New York equivalent of Bill Graham. I'll remember it uh, at the new school. And he basically said, you have to be ready to steal. You know, the promoters steal from the artists. The venues steal from the promoters. You know, you, you, you're going to siphon off as much cash as you can. And if you're not ready for that world, don't come in. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready for that. World. That's not. So I yeah. left. It. That's why I left. Yeah, that's that's tough. I, I, I wouldn't be able to operate in that environment either, which leads me to one of the things we're going to talk about today, and that is fraud. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm real passionate about fraud because it's such it destroys lives. Absolutely. I've seen it with my I've seen it with my clients. I've seen it with small businesses who work so hard. You know, when you're the business owner, there's four things you need to know. You need to know how to sell, you need to have a product, you need to service the client with the product that you sold, right? That's the hard part. It's easy to sell, it's hard to deliver on all your promises. And you need to take care of the back office. And usually the business owners, people who start businesses aren't skilled accountants. They didn't go to start a business because they want to reconcile bank accounts. <laughs> and so they have to trust somebody and you can't afford two people. You know, if you're a million dollar business, you got to have, you know, somebody who's got a title of controller, but most of the time you can't afford $125,000 base salary. So you have somebody without a degree who grew up as a bookkeeper and an office manager and, and they're your HR person and they are, they're the accounting manager, quote unquote. And that's the businesses that get ripped off the most statistics are staggering. When I was at Ernst & Young, when I graduated Pace, before I went to Amnesty, and I was a manager in accounting system design. And because I was a CPA and I was the only CPA in the group, I got tagged as the internal control expert. That's kind of what fraud is all about. It's helping to put controls in place to reduce the risk of fraud. You're never going to eliminate fraud, but if you can separate the duties, you can really make a big difference. And it's a big deal. The Society of Fraud Examiners does a, a report to the nation every other year on occupational fraud. And the 2020 report, which is the most recent report, says that there was $4.5 trillion lost globally to fraud. And what was I was sh shocked with was that 89% of the fraud comes from first-time offenders. It's not from professional. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I literally don't know anything about this topic. Most of the time when I talk to guests, I, I have some kind of inkling. So I'm going to probably ask you some very beginner questions. Like, what, what would fraud look like? What would I need to look for? Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of telltale signs. Um, you know, the, the most fundamental is, you know, somebody who, well, let me first give you a high level of what you should do. Okay. And then we can talk about how you look for it, right? So, so the basic concept of reducing fraud is you want to separate duties, both internal controls. And there's three things that happen. Anything you do in a business, somebody approves something's going to happen, like I'm going to pay payroll. Somebody has to enter that payroll, and then somebody else has to reconcile to make sure that it's recorded correctly. Now, typically, what happens is in a small business, if you have one person doing any two out of the three, you're going to have higher risk. And the average theft in businesses under a million dollars in revenue, and this is what really shocked me, is $125,000. And it takes 18 months to uncover it. 
because it's so easy for somebody who's doing two out of the three things to cover their tracks. And more than half the people never recover their cash. So it's just gone, that 125000 because it costs a lot of money to take somebody to court and to prove it. And they're gone. They left onto the next job. And so the way, the right way to stop it is the person who approves it, usually the owner, needs to be different from the person who creates it, the bookkeeper. That person needs to be different from the person who records it and reconciles the account. That's the controller's job. And if you have a bookkeeper and a controller and you are the approver, you've got three steps. If you don't, that's when we recommend you should outsource the controller function and just have a second set of eyes looking over the shoulder of that trusted person. Not to say that you don't believe them, but trust has nothing to do with putting a good system of controls in place. So the example I always give here is the person who writes the check should not ever reconcile the bank account. <laughs> so I learned early on, and this this is not my first business. This is, I think, business number four. Two of them were yeah. failures completely. But the the very first business, I learned I did not want to do payroll. I did not want to do bookkeeping. So I outsourced those. Yeah. That's what the power of outsourcing now, especially where we're finding so many businesses in this age of resignation, it's too hard to find anybody in the first place. And then if you've gone to a remote world, you're not the person's not outside your door or down the hall. It's much more difficult to have confidence that you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And you know, fraud happens because most business owners think they feel it in their gut if something was amiss, right? They would see it in the cash balance or they would see it in their, you know, their financial report. And you know, what's fascinating is there's four or five schemes that businesses suffer from. The most frequently one, occurring one is billing fraud. 27% of the billing fraud is from, uh, sorry, 27% of all fraud is the billing fraud. And, you know, it's particularly damaging for small businesses because there's not enough, usually enough cash to be able to handle $125,000 or $150,000 in losses. And so the way you do that is to separate the billing and the bookkeeping function, right? The person who does the billing should not do the collections. They shouldn't open the mail and they shouldn't create credits and go in and have the ability to delete transactions and definitely should not be reconciling the bank account. If you're paying the bills, you should not reconcile the bank account. If your listeners take one thing away, that's the one thing. Because if you're doing the billing, you know, what, what, what we have found, I, I have a, I have a a company, uh, a masonry company, who had their billing clerks were going in and creating bills, and they were also doing collections. And so the customer came in and wanted to pay their bill, and they paid in cash. And the billing clerk took the cash and went in and deleted the invoice. And oh, no. you'll never see it because the receivable is gone. The record of it is gone. Now, QuickBooks, we specialize in QuickBooks, has a great audit trail. It's a full double entry accounting system. A lot of people think it's not. It has a great audit trail. You just have to turn it on. Oh, is that so even with the QuickBooks on. Online? Yeah. QuickBooks Online is the preferred system now. Intuit has made it clear they're not investing in the desktop anymore. They had 7 million QuickBooks Enterprise users three years ago. I think it's like just under three now. People are moving to online in droves. If you can go in and create a bill and receive the payment, and then delete the invoice. Okay, well, you're going to have a hard time finding that. So right. that's the key. It's separation. The second one is payroll fraud. Payroll fraud is 
really worth paying attention to because payroll is for at least our clients are service businesses and nonprofit. And what's interesting is nonprofits have a $75,000 average theft because most mm-hmm. executive directors or pastors in a church believe that you know everybody's committed to the mission and we have good people here and we and we're naturally trusting of those people. Nonprofits get hit with fraud just as much as for-profits. And payroll in particular is an easy way for businesses to get ripped off because an employee can submit fake time. You know, they can go in there and put in extra time. Um, I had one where this is fascinating. The bookkeeper slash office manager slash accounting manager slash HR slash IT person. Ooh. Familiar with that role, right? Ooh. There's a lot. They, of, they have control over a lot of systems. And, and the business owners focused on sales and service and product and doesn't, it's not a core competency to supervise an accountant in QuickBooks. They don't even know how to spell QuickBooks. And so what happened was payrolls, big dollars are involved mm-hmm. and you can hide dollars, s- small dollars in, in the cracks and crevices. It was really the most innovative one. I hope we're not talking to bookkeepers and office managers. I'm going to teach you how to steal. I'm hoping we're talking to the business owners. But this one was incredible. The bookkeeper went in and padded their payroll tax deposits. You know, they got $2 million company. They got $100,000 in payroll a month. So they got to pay in payroll taxes. You know, it's just round numbers say it was $100,000 has to get paid to the IRS for the, the employees withholdings and the FICA. And they just started adding $500 per payroll, $2,000 a month just to the deposit. Pay. They gave extra money to the IRS. And you would think, well, why would you do that? Well, first, what they did was they, at the end of the year, because they were doing the payroll tax forms, they adjusted their W-2 and they credited their personal tax filings with an extra $24,000 of paid taxes. And then they claimed a $24,000 tax refund at the end of the year. Oh, good gracious. I would have never thought of that. Never. In a million years, would you think about it? But that's why you outsource the payroll. We use Insperity. It's an outsourced HR department because they not only do the payroll, they also do the employee benefits. They do the handbook. They do the training. They do the whole HR function. But if you don't want to outsource the whole function, then use ADP. They got the great web-based technology. But whatever you do, by having a third party do it, Make sure that you require your payroll provider to insist on manager approval for any changes. That this way, if they go in and add a new employee or they submit a raise for somebody, you're signing off. And you'll never, that bank, that business owner could never have seen that extra $500 per tax deposit. Why? Because payroll taxes, when you pay them to the IRS, there's no math that you can look at. It's not 7.65, your FICA percentage. It's not a percentage of payroll. It's based on your, you're taking your employees withholdings, which are based on, are they married? Are they single? Are they zero exemptions or 99? So the amounts change organically, naturally. And it's a really important way to make sure you're separating duties. The person who's approving it needs to be different from the person who's creating it and entering it. That needs to be different from the person who's doing the reconciliation and the taxes. So I have a question here. I would think that if a business owner is actually reviewing their forecasts and projections and comparing them to actuals, they would notice a percentage difference that was far out of the normal. Like for instance, if my payroll taxes percentage-wise changed by 5%, I might say, hey, let's see if we're putting something in the wrong place. 
I wouldn't automatically jump to fraud. But if I see a 5% change, because I'm calculating as a percentage on my forecast, so that percentage should remain the same. So I've, I feel like there's simple checks and balances that could be put in place here. Yeah, if it's material, right? If if there's a bit, if you if it jumps out at you, you know, typically, what are you looking at when you look at budget versus actual? You're looking at five percent or more variance. Twenty four twenty four thousand dollars of additional payroll taxes on a two million dollar business is one percent, one point two percent. It's not big enough. It, okay. That's what I'm saying. It's it's really easy to take a little bit here and a little bit there. And what happens is the reason why it takes eighteen months to uncover fraud. So they start small. They start with two, three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars. Grows to five. I didn't get caught. Let's make it five. Once your five hundred dollars is baked in, now you don't have a variance anymore, right? It's just part of the budget. Mm, clever. Kind of like how what they tell you when you're watching your bank account if your card has been compromised, they'll usually do a couple small transactions first, and right. then they exactly. hit you with the two thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly right. Now, what's really interesting is. One of the simplest things you can do is have the bank send a copy of your bank statement to your home or email. Every bank is emailing bank statements this, these days. I like to get it physically in the mail. Why? Because I get 250 emails a day and I don't always open up the lower priority ones. But when I come home at night, I always open the mail. And I suggest what you want to look for on the bank account is all the transfers out. And your banks, mm. the money center banks all have great fraud prevention services where you can say, I'm, I'm only allowed to ACH, in our case, in Sperity for payroll. You're not, nobody else is allowed an ACH. Or you can look at this and see what kind of online bill payment was made and make sure that you approve them all. You want to have a money center bank where you have multiple levels of approval. We recommend JP Morgan Chase because they have one user where you can view only, which is really, really good for like a bookkeeper who just needs to be able to make sure that before I pay the bills, I can see um, if we have enough cash. And then another user level that allows you to pay bills. That's really important. Most business owners, you have to give the bookkeeper access to the bank, but don't give them access to pay anything. And that's, that's free. Most of these feature uh, controls don't cost you anything. No, I have the same thing at Wells Fargo, basically. Wells Fargo, any money center bank, any mm -hmm. big bank. The third way people get ripped off is employee expenses. You know, there's 14% of the fraud is employee expenses. And the average fraud on employee expenses was $40,000. Overstated expenses, fictitious expenses, multiple expenses. You know, people just submitting bills more than once. You know, you're not, you're not looking at, um, especially if somebody's traveling all the time, you know, they may not go and spend money on a meal, but they take last month's meals and put them on this month's expenses, or they just add a zero to the bill. Instead of $25, it's 250 bucks. So, or just make it up. Just submit, here's a bill for my replacement of the router. Well, they did it at home instead of doing it at work. Mm -hmm. So that's one that I really, I really surprised. And the way you do that, we, we recommend Expensify. It's a great, you know, on your phone, you can approve bills. Uh, and bill.com for paying bills and Expensify for approving expense reports. Mm -hmm. And just make sure that, again, you're separating the person who approved the expense report from the person who is paying the, the reimbursement, separate from the bank reconciliation, because the person who's paying the bill should never reconcile the bank. That's the simple answer. Yeah. Many years ago, I worked you know, in corporate and you know, they had a policy that was like, if it was under a certain threshold, you didn't need to submit a receipt. Well, people were abusing that policy. So all of a sudden it was like, I don't care if you spend a penny, we need a receipt. 
know, and, and, you know, you, if, if you want to be a big business, you got to act like a big business, right? If you want to stay a small business, then, you know, all right, you, you can build it on trust and you can build it on the easy way. But the other thing that you asked earlier on that I think is really important is the human factor, right? What often happens here is people, 89% of these are first time offenders. And so what you got to be alert to is the warning signs in employee behavior. So what would those warning signs be? And I mean, and how can we as business owners be proactive in, in choosing people for these functions? Well, it's not so much even choosing. Well, first, if you have to do a background check, that's required, right? You would catch a lot. You know, one of the things that happens is you do a background check and we literally had a client who was ripped off by their office manager. And then they moved from, from Houston, Texas, where we are to Louisiana. And in a weird coincidence, we had a client in Louisiana that hired this person. And we told the client, the first client, you have to go to court and file it. You're not going to get paid because that person's gone. And what we found out was, but well, you have to file the claim in criminal court because you'll find them if they apply for the next job. And a weird God thing, they showed up on one of our other clients. But that's unusual that you know somebody will move to the next job and get caught. Usually you hire somebody and they have all the skills and it's really hard to find people right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why outsourcing is growing more than I've ever, we're busier than I've ever been in my 35 years because the value proposition is so great. Mm-hmm. But one of the things when you're looking at people who have external factors in their lives will help you look at an increased risk of somebody being a bad actor. So for example, if they have financial pressures, medical bills is the most biggest one, right? If Especially mm-hmm. in this coming out of COVID, if somebody has long-term effects, or now they have a parent that's living with them, medical bills are running up, or their spouse lost a job, or they're in personal debt. In Houston, we had hurricane problems. We saw some of our clients' employees struggle because they, their house got flooded and they didn't have flood insurance, mm. or other factors like you know drug abuse, gambling, alcohol. Or just, you know, somebody who is spending more than you think they should. Wow, you got a nice new car. That's shocking for somebody who's making $48,000 a year. <laughs> Those are the things you want to be looking for to just decide, I'm going to pay a little bit of attention. Because if any of your employees are living beyond their means, experiencing financial difficulties, or, or if they have control issues, the single biggest red flag that I look for when we, when we get a new client is when the bookkeeper says, no, I'm not going to give anybody else access to it. Or only I can do payroll. I mean, you should not outsource it. It costs money to hire ADP and you're already paying me. So why would you spend extra money that you don't have to? I got to tell you, the payroll provider's costs are lower than my costs to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Why can ADP do it less than a bookkeeping service? And I'm a specialist in automation because they make a lot of money on the float. When you pay that tax deposit, they may not give it to the IRS for seven days, 10 days. They got billions of dollars that they're investing. And through scale, they're able to automate every single thing. It's cheaper to have ADP do it than it is to have your own bookkeeper do it. (laughs) So if a bookkeeper says, no, I should do the payroll and only me, that's a red flag. Perfect. This has been incredible. You've given us some great things to think about, to watch in the business. Um, I don't think we've ever done an episode that's focused on how to prevent fraud. So this is this is great. And 
you know, we're still technically in tax season because I suspect that most business owners extended. <laughs> that's Maybe. not a bad thing. Don't, don't feel like you're not on top of things if you did an extension. That's smart. <laughs> and really, because the IRS audits are based on random audits, which don't happen anymore. The IRS is underfunded, so that's not even a risk. But they pick their audit, random audits, which they still do a few, from the people who filed by April 15th. If you file after an extension, you lower the risk of getting an audit and you give your CPA more time to do it right. And having you here today was just worth hearing you say that. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was way more nuggets than that in the interview, but I, I appreciate that because that has always been one of my things. I hate extending my taxes. Okay. I didn't know that though. <laughs> it's like, I feel like, you know, this is the deadline. Let's get it done by the deadline. <laughs> it's that, you know, driver personality. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get that. Most people are that way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, Stephen, how can our listeners find you after the show? Well, I've got a podcast for business leaders, Path to Profit. You can stop by and listen to it at growthforce.com slash podcast. That's growthforce, G-R-O-W-T-H, force.com. And just get lessons that we've learned from growth-driven business leaders who've scaled their business. To, and, and it's focused on the bottom line, right? Most business owners think they can sell their way to profits. That is a fallacy. You have to get pricing right. You have to get your margins right. You have to control your overhead in order to really have the American dream and grow your profit. So I, that's what I talk about. Or, or, or email me. It's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at growthforce.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Stephen King CPA, and Twitter, Stephen King CPA, or just our website, growthforce.com. Perfect. I'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes as well. Stephen, thank you today for enlightening our listeners. Thanks for having me, Denise. Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business podcast, where the focus is on business growth, technology, and people strategies to help your business thrive. At DCA Virtual Business Support, our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth. Reach out to me at denise at dcavirtual.com if you'd like to learn more.